0: Hello, and welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on French science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves.
1: Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy.
0: And I'm Ross Blotcher. And this time, the claim they made was that coming down to Costa Rica and taking ayahuasca is a good old time. (laughs)
1: Actually, I'd say they made two claims.
0: Okay, what was the other claim? Mm,
1: no, I would say they made a million claims, but there are two I'm interested in oh, right okay. now.
0: Okay. <laughs> you know what? There were lots yeah, of claims.
1: Yeah, there being were made. a lot of claims. One of them is that this is all spiritual and a miracle, blah, blah, blah. That's a whole thing to unpack. Mm. But what I'm really interested in right now is these two claims. Number one, we will keep you safe. Number two, <laughs> we will make sure you feel safe. Right. right. I feel that. We don't know if you were dying, but we sure know that you didn't feel safe.
0: So at this point, you've all heard my wild fourth night and my fear of dying. Uh, I've gotten so many responses. Appreciate all your love and support. Glad you all like having uh, Ross the Podcast's host around. I appreciate that. (laughs) And uh, a range of responses everywhere from, I'm a medical professional, and what you had was definitely serotonin syndrome, and this Mm -hmm. could have been very dangerous, to, yeah, you were probably just worried, but you were fine. Right uh, so we've gotten we've got a lot of and
1: far more of the supportive, oh my gosh, this is so scary kind than the latter.
0: We definitely can't know for sure the actual danger I was in. I'm sure I was in far less danger than I felt at that moment. Mm-hmm. And I think one key thing to point out is that the feeling of certainty is a feeling just like any other. Mm -hmm. And I think that's key in a lot of our investigations, too, is that you can have the sensation of certainty. I think of when we were talking about the alien episodes and people getting downloads Mm -hmm. and they would say, oh, my goodness, I got this feeling that I had all this great wisdom. And then you say, oh, cool. What was it? And then they say, you know, I think it'll be revealed to me at a later date.
1: Oh right. But oh. I
0: have that sense of the great wisdom. You can have those sensations without them being attached to anything in particular. Mm-hmm. So so what I was experiencing in that moment was the assuredness that I was going to die.
1: Yeah. And we do know that some hallucinogens provoke the feeling of ego death, they call it, where mm-hmm. you feel like you're dying or you feel like a part of you is dying. You weren't like watching your own death or anything. You were really experiencing like a physical event. I would tell
0: people about this the next day and a lot of them would say, oh yeah, you know what? I saw my own death as well. There was like, you know, a a coffin. I was like, no, no, it wasn't that.
1: (laughs) Right. And none of that. I was running around a fire with my shirt off. (laughs) But yeah, what I keep coming back to is They are a hospital. They are licensed as a hospital. Can you imagine if I went into Kaiser? I have Kaiser. Hi, Kaiser. (laughs) Actually, I think my doctor listens to our podcast and is very sweet about, like, not geeking out about it. What up, Carrie's doctor? That's so cool. (laughs) Anyway, so can you imagine me going into the Kaiser ER on ayahuasca and saying, okay, I know I took ayahuasca. I think I'm dying. And then being like, you know what? Just sit down. We're going to spit on you. We're going to wave some sticks over you. And not even saying like, you're going to be fine, no reassurance, no erring on the side of caution and hook me up to an IV. No, because these are not hospital standards.
0: I didn't say this, but I'll say it in this interview that we're about to have with Dr. Jeff here. But if anyone had just come up to me as I was doing this, as I was talking, to them, saying, hey, I'm trying to stay alive. Help me out here. I'm just letting you know everything I know. If they had just said, hey, just want you to know. You know, we've got eyes on you. This
1: happens sometimes. We've
0: seen this before. We know you're going to be okay. If you pass out, we will get you to the ICU immediately. We'll get you hooked up with an IV. If they had said that, that would have been fine. And I think maybe they were worried about ruining my spiritual experience Mm -hmm. and just, you know, wanted me to get through it. Right. Maybe that's what was going on. I'm not sure. But that would have helped me. To hear that, I think then I could have taken that and I would have processed it in the moment and it would have helped.
1: I don't think this is intentional, but I think it ends up being a bit of a bait and switch because you're brought out there on this promise of both safety and feeling safe Mm -hmm. and you know they kind of position themselves as we're the safe place to do ayahuasca. Those other places, ugh, dicey. But here we do it differently. We get it. You're an American who's used to like a robust medical system. Mm-hmm. If you freak out, we got your back. Oh well, you know we have to pull you out of one of your trips one night. Okay, that's mm-hmm. kind of their sell. That you get there, and then it's like. Eh, Actually, you just need to go through ego death. So we're not going to say anything about this.
0: Right. And apparently they did mention that there is a death like experience for some people, at least when I wasn't in earshot or I wasn't getting it. Somehow I hadn't heard about that beforehand. I
1: don't think they said that.
0: Okay, because.
1: Are you remembering something or.
0: No, I just later on, it sounded like they said they had warned us that that was common or that (laughs) might happen. But okay. for all the talking that happened before and in preparation for these trips, no one, as far as uh, no. I heard, said, oh, yeah, you might think that you're actually dying.
1: The closest thing is that someone asked a question after the first or second ceremony, said, I felt like I was ODing. I felt like I was dying. Jerry said, great. <laughs> I, and I think we talked about and that, that was in a, a previous episode. That
0: wasn't at the ceremony, but that was one of these side meetings.
1: Yeah, it was one of Jerry's talks, but it was... After a ceremony. So it definitely wasn't before all the ceremonies. Gotcha. Gotcha. But also, you know, you mentioned they kind of act like they've told you something. This will be a theme. (laughs) Like, Uh um, spoiler, I've talked to Jerry quite a bit since we've come back. He does claim to have said things that I feel I would both remember and write down.
0: Right, right. If they had been said, correct, they would be in Carrie's notebook.
1: Yes. We're both very diligent note takers. <laughs> there was another reporter there who I've also talked to about his memories of right. certain things that Jerry thinks he said. And um, yeah, I'm not confident he has said them.
0: So this is a lot of exposition here, but we're just trying to cover some of the feedback we've gotten. And I want to say that I still feel if you're going to take ayahuasca, this is probably the best way to do it of the available options. It may be. Uh certainly I wouldn't recommend going. You know, we've heard terrible stories of mm-hmm. people just going to small shops in, you know, various other countries. Mm-hmm. Peru has been mentioned many times. Yep. People, Ecuador. People have been taken advantage of.
1: Yeah. and really terrible death stories, not only of people being murdered, but also really terrible death stories. And some people have died on ayahuasca because They have a bad reaction or whatever. And then if you are far from a hospital, you are fucked. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, You know, it's interesting, though, that you say this might be the safest way. That's kind of how I felt about it. Like, well, this was really bad, but the alternatives are not very good. Drew mentioned, well, there are some groups in the U.S. that have a religious exemption for ayahuasca. So probably in Drew's opinion, probably the safest place would be find a religious exempt group Mm -hmm. in your city where you know there's a hospital nearby.
0: And fill them out in advance for how well they're going to respond around you. Right. Are they sober? Uh, but yeah, if a friend told me, hey, I think I'm going to go to Rhythmia, I wouldn't say don't do it. Right. I would say, hey, here are the qualifications. What happened to me is very rare, but it did happen to me. Mm-hmm. Listen to your body. If you don't feel like you should have more, don't have more. Right. And you may have this experience. That, that would be all I would add to that.
1: I also want to add, we got an email from a very sweet listener. They had a friend who went on an ayahuasca journey overdosed and died and this person who wrote in was told that oh it's because your friend did too many ceremonies and her friend had done two. Oh, yeah she did like that's one too many huh <laughs> yeah fair that's what these people claimed but anyway she um yeah she passed away right there oh man yeah Jesus so and listen i'm not saying don't take drugs you guys if you want to take hallucinogens go for yeah, it i and don't there know there are definitely good applications for i don't know how you psilocybin. could
0: ever have gotten that from our <laughs> podcast but no we're not saying that
1: <laughs> right but you know people die on aspirin right um people yeah, have died everything on, has risks uh, on everything and this is something that carries its own risks you should know those risks And if you are a hospital, you should be prepared to handle all of the risks and err on the side of caution in every case. That's it.
0: Seems reasonable. So there you go, folks. That's a lot of our qualifications based on some of the feedback we've gotten.
1: But also, thank you for getting us to 2,000 donors. (laughs) We
0: buried the lead here. Yes. So we're releasing yet another episode very early because you got us to 2,000 new and upgrading Maximum Fun monthly donors. Thank you so much.
1: Oh, my gosh. I can't believe we got here this fast. How awesome are these people? This is amazing.
0: Oh, and thank you, everybody, for all the wonderful notes you've been writing us about the difference we've made in your lives and and what the show means to you. And it's just amazing to hear that because we sit in front of a microphone after doing these crazy things, and you don't always remember all the people that are hearing these words. So uh, it's super cool, and we love you all.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. And for everybody who's listening to this who hasn't quite jumped on board yet, it's okay. We get it. You still have several days. This drive lasts till April 13th, but now is probably the best time because you can push us
0: to our other goals.
1: Yes, to 2,500, and then you will get us begging Mike Clelland, the Owl Guy, the owl guy, to Trademark. come out here. Yes. And be on the show.
0: Or to Skype or whatever, but we will try to get him out here and to meet him because that would be awesome.
1: We will offer to fly him here.
0: We like you, Mike.
1: We will offer to fly him like an owl. And then if uh, he says no, we'll record an episode at a bird sanctuary, get around an owl.
0: We should also say what you've unlocked by getting us here to 2000. So already you released one episode early, the interview with Jerry. Mm -hmm. And then at 1500, you unlocked the Scientology live streaming as we watched their Network show,
1: their TV, Scientology TV. Yeah, so we'll with a drinking game. we'll
0: announce when uh, that's going to be scheduled. Both here, we'll we'll say on the podcast, and we'll put it on our Facebook page
1: and our Twitter.
0: So stay tuned. Yes, and at two thousand, not only do you get this episode early, but look soon for our Ross and Carrie sing Disney album exclusive to donors.
1: That's right. On the Maximum Fine
0: a donor bonus site.
1: Pretty cool stuff. And we'll be singing the songs a cappella from memory. <laughs> uh, also, if you get us to 3,000 upgrading or new members who choose on Rack as one of their shows they listen to, you will get a PDF map of our investigations across this great nation uh, across the world. Yeah, across the world. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we'll we'll let you know where we've been, and we'll do illustrations to go with them, little descriptions. Should be a lot of fun. And if you get us to 3,000, we'll also release an episode immediately. That's so, right. Hey, what a great way to get more Ross and Carrie very quickly yeah. during the Max do Fun you Drive. you want
1: this in a day? Well, then you should become a member now.
0: And we will announce some super bonus stretch goals that we've already devised, but we won't tell you about until we get to 3,000. If we get to 3,000... Yep. Can you do it? Can you get us there?
1: Can you do it? Can you do it in a day? Can you do it in two days? You have to become a member now. So go to MaximumFun.org forward slash donate and be sure you choose us as a show you listen to.
0: Awesome. So now we get into our interview with Dr. Jeff McNary, Chief Medical Officer of Rhythmia.
1: And just a reminder, we were asked not to release this episode as well as the episode with Jerry. But we were able to find the audio on Ross's phone as a backup, Mm -hmm. and so the beginning of it will be a little cut off because you started your phone a little into the interview.
0: It was just a few minutes in, but we were asking him first about his history with Jerry and how he got started working with Jerry. Yep. And here we are.
2: But he was so out of control that... You know, had so many issues that I figured, you know, I better take this guy and try to kind of take the burden off my clinical people. It, it wow. seems like he's pretty
0: open about the fact that he was an asshole, in his words, and uh, <laughs> that he was still carousing with women and yeah. drinking and not following instructions well.
2: It was was that all right? That's all absolutely correct. <laughs> and, you know, the good thing about uh, Jer is that even when he was at his worst, he was really focused on just changing and trying to kind of figure out what was wrong with him. Mm. So that was really cool. It was encouraging. That's why I saw a lot of potential in him, you know, as a patient that, he, that if he focused, he could probably pull it off. But, uh, he struggled with a ton of stuff, you know, he had a lot of issues and the good thing about the passages experience for him is that he, he was able to get off of uh, injectable Demerol, right. which is really hard. Uh-huh. So he kicked that part of you know, his, his addiction which was great, but he still had all these other issues. One down, many to go. Yeah, one down, 50 to go, So is that what you
1: look for when you are dealing with someone with an addiction? Do you look for that sort of like inner drive to that commitment to get better?
2: Yeah, all I need, I tell people, like all I need is a hint of internal motivation with Mm -hmm. somebody that has an addiction, then we can work with that. If they have none, it's really rough and they're just not ready.
1: Like if a family member brought them there.
2: Yeah, exactly. Do, do you feel you're still using the same approach
0: now with people who come to you or has, has it changed or evolved since you became involved with Jerry
2: and Rhythmia? Well, what I've noticed is, you know, in the, the Western model that I was, you know, trained in as a psychologist and a, I have a master's in public health also from UCLA, the Western model is like there's a lot of external change that is required of people like take Mm. these meds or change your friends or move to another part of the city and just kind of like do everything external, see a therapist, see all these people do all these things, but they never really talk about like how to change yourself internally and Mm. like spiritually or, you know, emotionally Mm. that part's hard because you can't really measure that. Um, there's not a lot of tactics on how to do that. So the change for me being here at Rhythmia is that I have a lot of confidence that when the people are here and they're doing plant medicine and the rest of our program, it's all about themselves. It's all about them. And we set the stage, you know, for them to be safe and to have an environment where they can do this work. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but it's ultimately up to them. So it just, it's a whole different sort of way of looking at it.
1: So you said as a psychologist, so is that what your licensing is in now psychology? Yes. Okay. Yes.
2: Yes. i I worked in uh, in Los Angeles with a private practice and, uh, Got my doctorate in psychology in LA and uh, just worked in lots of different agencies, locked psychiatric hospitals, rehabs, um, all kinds of different facilities. Also, UCLA Med Center, I used to direct the OBGYN clinics, which was before I did my psych stuff. I was going to go to medical school, so I do a lot of medical stuff. Mm -hmm. So I have that background as well.
1: And then here in Costa Rica, what are you licensed as?
2: Nothing here. So I just okay. oversee the, the licensed doctors and nurses okay. and also the clinical people like the life coaches and the shaman. And I kind of oversee them. I don't myself provide uh, you know, licensed sort of interventions with the guests. I meet with them and I talk to them and I hang out with them and I see how they're doing but I wouldn't call it a uh, therapy. Well, mm-hmm. what does that staff look like on the medical side here? How many people are, you know, certified medical practitioners? So we have a, a medical doctor, Dr. Arturo, who's licensed Costa Rican medical oh, yeah, doctor we him. Uh-huh. and then we have four nurses who are all licensed RNs and then um, on the, the night shifts, we have uh, on-call doctors that are available if we need them for anything. Like
1: we, during the ceremonies?
2: Yeah, we usually don't need them, but mm-hmm. they're available if we do. So okay. we have 24 hour medical coverage. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um, Because, you know, during uh, Ross's final ceremony. This is where my story comes in. Yeah, I heard about that. Okay. okay. I did. You did, yeah.
2: So,
0: uh, at this point, our listeners will have heard of it in detail, but I'll just kind of (laughs) share as briefly as I can. Uh, I was having really bad physical pains, and it was the one night where I hadn't had visions, but I had body spasms. My arm was just kind of moving uncontrollably and and i went outside because i couldn't stand the smells at that point and i was in pain and i was rolling around and i was kind of uh, losing consciousness and and at one point i really did feel like the world kind of flickering on me and my body was telling me you are dying you are actually this is the end of you and and i i was panicking and i started yelling out to people i remember telling i'm pretty sure it was one of the shaman that i saw
2: i think i need to go to the hospital what should have happened in that moment. You know what's really interesting is that the whole kind of death experience is actually something that, that people who do ayahuasca on a regular basis are, are trying to get to. They're trying to get to that. Sherry
1: told us that too.
2: Oh really, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's very symbolic of a rebirth and of like a shift mm-hmm. in your consciousness. So it's actually a really good thing now. It's not fun. It's not, it's not enjoyable. It was, it was so frightening. It was really frightening. I had a similar experience myself, um, with, with Taito Juanito who oversees our, our plant medicine division. Mm-hmm. He's a Colombian shaman, you know, a love lineage of ayahuasquatos and it scared the heck out of me. I actually like just walked off into the jungle about three times, you know, I was just trying to get away. It was super scary. Um, but what I, what I realized through that process, and we've had other guests have a similar thing, is that it's, it's super healthy because you're shifting and you're evolving, and that physical side of it Again, it's really scary because, like, you're still aware of yourself, you know, to some degree. You're like, this isn't normal. This doesn't feel good. I'm right. scared. Right?
0: Right. Yeah. right. Yeah. 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 And I, I felt like I had only a portion of my consciousness still, on, like, firing. Yeah. Like, I could feel I had lost part of me. Yeah. And so there was just a little, little me still, like, reaching through the window of this fisheye view of the world. And
1: that little you was asking for an ambulance. Yeah. So I guess yeah. <laughs> like, I
2: can relate, believe me. <laughs> yeah, well
1: I mean, but ayahuasca has killed people, so how sure. do you figure out if someone is really in trouble or you know it's in their brain?
0: What would have tripped
2: the wire to actually get, you know, people putting me on a gurney or putting me on an IV, it would have been heart rate dropping significantly or rising significantly. It would have been something called a serotonin syndrome, mm-hmm. which have symptoms of anxiety and also, which, you know, it sounds like you had a little bit of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, a lot. Well, I
2: I think I was staggering
0: (laughs) around for at least two hours uh, just uh, doing this information dump. I lost my ability to... Uh, like to filter my speech so yeah. it's just it was just pure the stream of consciousness dump. and I was telling people that I was dying and over and over yeah yeah,
1: yeah.
2: so now, but no interesting one, to- no, yeah no one made that medical intervention yeah, yeah. and no yeah. one
1: checked his heart rate so how would you know yeah if you had to well the, the
2: shaman are very interesting people Um, they're they're obviously very skilled and trained in what they're doing so they're aware energetically but also observationally of like what somebody's doing that could be problematic mm-hmm. and if somebody like really needs that medical care, in their opinion, there's certain behaviors that are going down. Not necessarily the fear of the guest, right? But it's more about like what are they doing physically? What are they doing? You know, are they screaming? Are they? Which again is very rare. You know, to have like that emotional outburst. Okay. Like running. That, oh, that was me. Yeah, you could have been. You could have. Yeah, I was sure. a screamer. Yeah, so I sure. guess we're for looking sure. for
1: like what what is a specific, um, yeah, behavior or symptom that would trigger trigger the medical response
2: yeah so usually it's a lack of consciousness like just laying there kind of limp that's a big part of it okay Okay. when you're when you're physical and moving around you're usually okay that's not something that's like a red flag totally you know they kept an eye on you I'm sure yeah you know but it's not if you were to like all of a sudden just pass out and lose consciousness and just kind of flop down that would be something that we would like to know, go
1: from one to the other screaming and then
2: exactly out. and then so. when you mentioned it's interesting too a good statistic is that you know you mentioned the people have died on ayahuasca which is true they have not here arrhythmia but they have and there's 13 recorded cases like in the literature that show that and and what I've been able to do when I was studying all that stuff before we opened I was looking at like, the circumstances if they were available to to be found. Um, a lot of people that go off to ayahuasca retreats aren't medically screened ahead of time mm-hmm. or when they arrive. So there's meds that people are taking that are contraindicated. Right. There's psychiatric conditions that are mm-hmm. contraindicated. Like schizophrenia is sure. not yeah, it's not uh, kosher to be take exactly. ayahuasca. No exactly. Yeah. exactly, exactly. <laughs> so and there's also heart conditions that can prevent mm-hmm. people and also brain conditions. So if people had strokes mm-hmm. or people had traumatic head injuries, there's a lot of things that can prevent people from doing ayahuasca in particular. So the data that I saw on these 13 people, I didn't see all the 13 data because some of it didn't exist, but other about seven that I saw, they had other issues going on. They were mixing things. One guy in particular was drinking liquid tobacco during the ceremony that he died at. That was in Peru. Mm -hmm. And that was like obviously, you know, a little much.
0: We're, uh, in the ceremonies, we're taking rapé before... We, yeah, uh,
2: yeah. we take the ayahuasca but that's not uh, no, a bad the, combination no because the, the tobacco when it's used as a snuff powder which is uh, from the Amazon basin with some other herbs and things is super medicinal it's actually got a ton of antioxidants and because you, you know tobacco is interesting because it depends on the method of ingestion if you smoke tobacco if you drink tobacco you kind of take it internally like that it's, it can be problematic okay. but snor- snorting it or <laughs> snuffing it for whatever reason is actually totally safe hmm. unless somebody has naturally really high blood pressure mm-hmm. or if they have an anxiety disorder that's They happen to be in a manic phase. Mm-hmm. Then we, then we tell them not to do it and okay. we don't have the to do it. But the, the, the rapé actually blends very well with the ayahuasca. It's used in conjunction. Hmm.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah, the uh, the raw pay was the one thing I was able to do because yeah. it wasn't approved for the plant medicine. Exactly. Um, and man, I did not expect how fast it made me feel high. Oh yeah. Like I felt like Great. I told Ross, yeah. who has never smoked marijuana, I said, "Ross, this is what this is what pots like," but then yeah. it went away like you know it ten minutes later. It's
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. But oh boy, the ayahuasca high or whatever you want to call it, yeah, stays with you. It does. Like because I've been drunk before. And normally I'm aware of, okay, I'm about to hit a plateau and then I'll, this will go away and it'll yeah. subside some
2: more and it'll subside some more, but not so with ayahuasca. No, it, it comes really, in waves. It lingers. It does. it does. And it has to do because you're drinking it. Cause sometimes people smoke DMT, not here arrhythmia, but mm-hmm. people smoke DMT, which is the active ingredient in ayahuasca. Right. And that's like, it's kind of like the raw pig. it hits you really fast, like within seconds, uh, but only lasts five minutes also. Uh, so that's a different sort of route of administration. And just just last night, two nights after the, the
0: fourth ceremony, the last time I took the ayahuasca, I had kind of a mini vision.
2: Is that normal? Does it kind of come back afterward? It does, and the reason why that happens is because DMT is a natural component in your body anyway. So when you're taking DMT externally from the plants that we use, right, the mixtures, is it, it kind of like sparks your own natural DMT as well. So it kind of gets the juices flowing in a way. Mm-hmm. So the DMT that you drank that night with ayahuasca, mm-hmm. that's not the DMT that you're feeling, you know, a day later because that's out of your system in two to four hours. Okay. You drink. Hmm. But what it does is it kind of peaks your natural DMT and that will kind of come in waves a little bit afterwards. Interesting. I'm
1: guessing then also your neuroreceptors are like kind of seeking out DMT at that point. So they're more sensitive to it. Correct. They're okay. receptive
2: to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because exactly. DMT, when you're when you're not taking ayahuasca, you just, you know, there's a lot of theories on, you know, what DMT is even about, Right. Um, what we believe, and what a lot of the shamans believe, and some scientists also believe, is that it's it's our way to connect with the external world. It's like the energetic vibes you feel with other people. It's your own personal insight, and kind of like that when you have those déjà vu moments. That has a lot to do with DMT. They believe hmm. so. It's a, it's a part of who we are, and it's in animals, it's in plants, it's in us. It's a, a natural thing. Huh. Interesting.
1: Have been, have any people gone to the ER from your ceremonies? We had
2: uh we had one guy bite his tongue. Okay. Um we didn't we didn't know he bit his tongue, but he just was kind of spitting and there was some blood so we were concerned. We didn't know like what was up. So we took him to the ER, but we found out he just bit his tongue and they didn't stitch it or anything. He just mm. came back, you know, that evening. And then we had another lady who fell not during ceremony. She was in Tamarindo, the town nearby. And she uh-huh. broke her, her arm. So she uh-huh. had to go to the yard, but yeah, as count. far as ceremonies, <laughs> he's, he's the only guy out of about 1900 people.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I met a guy the other night who uh, said he came here a year ago and then he didn't bite his tongue. Um, but <laughs> that the next morning he, he was, he was feeling super, super anxious, went down to the ICU. They said, Oh, you really need intravenous fluid. And, uh, they didn't have it for him here and they had to take him to the
2: ER. We were concerned about his heart rate actually. So we do have the IVs here. Uh-huh. Uh, but I remember, I know you're talking about and he, he actually was super dehydrated. So his heart rate was, was climbing. Right. So yeah, he went to the ER and got it really, I forgot about him. He got, he got released that very two uh-huh. hours later, I believe it wasn't, he didn't stay the night or nothing like that. Right. So sometimes that's common. Like we'll see in our own ICU that we have on property, we'll have people that are really dehydrated. Know, cause they've been purging all night. Mm-hmm. It's hot down here in Costa Rica. Yeah. So people are coming from cold environments. Maybe they didn't hydrate mm-hmm. enough. So actually dehydration is probably one of the most common things we deal with, you mm-hmm. know, and when you have a dehydrated uh, person often affects like their blood pressure. So right. we want to make sure he was cool. You know? Right.
1: But, but why couldn't they take care of that here?
2: Uh, we just want to make sure that he wasn't have a, cause we did an EKG also on him uh-huh. and we just, he had an irregular sort of heart thing going on, which, which by the way, was normal for him before uh-huh. he even came here. Right. So we just want to make extra, extra certain that he was cool and he was really scared. So we want him to feel comfortable too. Okay, You know, we were confident that he was fine, but we just, you know, he was worried. He was upset. We just want to make sure he was you know right. going to be okay. So we just sent him to the place nearby here.
1: But so you can do an IV with... Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We
2: have the full, we're, we're, we're required to keep on property from our license with the Ministry of Health, a certain amount of IV bags and all the different solutions Mm. that we need. So we have a fully operating ICU, like an urgent care center here. Okay, good. I'll just say from,
0: from my own perspective, I think if someone had told me as I was shouting all these things like, Hey, you know what? We've got, we've got eyes on you. If you, if you drop out, we're going to get you on, on IV or we'll take care of you. Don't worry about it. Uh, I I don't think I got any reassurances like
2: that. I agree. That would have been way better. Okay. (laughs) Okay. A little little note for the future there. I think what happens too, you know, the shaman, they're, they're drinking often a little bit of ayahuasca. Yeah. Not a ton. You know, they're not like, like the rest of the guests, like super, you know, high on the medicine. So they're in a certain energetic vibe where they're, they're aware in their way, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. not the way I would do it medically necessarily, but they're aware in their way about who's cool and who's not. Now, of course, that's why we have, you know, crossover with the Western docs and the Western vibe that I bring. Right. Mm-hmm. So no, I agree. I think it would have been really helpful to hear, you know, Hey, don't worry, Ross, like, yeah, hey, you're cool. We got ya. You know, don't worry, we're, we got backup for you. That would have right. been definitely much better. I, I agree. <laughs> okay. So are there <laughs> any
1: sober people around watching?
2: There are, watching there out? are Dr. Arturo is on call. He lives on the property. I'm on call. I was in LA during that ceremony, right. we're moving my family into a house. So I wasn't, but I'm usually, you know, I'm here, I'm here full time, so mm-hmm. I'm on call. There's also two guest services that are the, kind of the, the do it, do everything staff. Mm-hmm. They're on, they're on shift throughout the night. So we have various. So are various... they walking
1: around the perimeter? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because so... when I hear on call, I'm thinking, okay, but a, but yeah. a high person has to call you. No, no, no. Okay. They're on property
2: walking around, okay. making sure everything's cool. You know, and I'm down here with my phone turned on, so it wakes me up if something is up, you know, I, and again, we haven't had anything super nuts happen, you know. Right. But definitely, you know, we've had things like you know what you experienced, Ross, where people get scared and yeah, yeah, walk around. A bit, you yeah, because <laughs> I got
1: to say, I watched your video actually. Um maybe a month ago, you did a little video about, I know a lot of people are nervous when they come here. Here's the med- medical facilities that we have. And it made me feel reassured. Okay. You know, no matter what, if we ask for this, we can go down the hill and we can get an IV. Correct. Super. Uh, so then when Ross was like, take me to the <laughs> <take> me <laughs> to the ER and didn't get a response, I felt a little baited and switched.
2: Of course. Of course. That would make sense for sure. You know, yeah. and absolutely. There's, there's sometimes that occurs, you like in our system of trying to keep everybody safe and you know the shaman having an opinion us as the doctor people having an opinion and then mm-hmm. the guests having their experience obviously the guests experience is number one important so we want them to feel comfortable hope, yeah so yeah that was one of the little glitches that appears that, that okay. occurred yeah absolutely right. well yeah. i appreciate you acknowledging <laughs> it as a glitch yeah yeah yeah, yeah for sure <laughs> uh well let's talk about the tincture because carrie
0: took the homeopathic tincture uh, what is that, and and could she at all expect to have uh, any kind of visions or similar experience based on that?
2: You know, everybody's a little different with the tincture about how it affects them. The tincture is interesting because it's a homeopathic dose of our own ayahuasca mixture that we have. It's right. our homebrew.
1: 7 parts per million.
2: Yeah, it's less than 7 parts per million. So for legal reasons, you say. For legal reasons. And also, the FDA doesn't really care about things in the world that are less than 7 parts per million. It's essentially water. It makes sense. You know, it's essentially water. with a preserved of some alcohol, like in it a little bit. Uh-huh. And uh, what happens with homeopathic medicine is that the substance of interest, whatever it is, is diluted thousands of times so that you have that, you know, less than seven parts per million right. uh, amount in there. So, what it, so what that the philosophy of that is that there's an energetic component that gets to be maintained throughout the dilution. So, the substance isn't there but the the energy of it is mm-hmm. and so again that's just homeopathic medicine that's why you know there's pros that like people think it's real some people don't think it's real you know it yeah. has a lot to do with your own sort of opinion about it mm-hmm. well and by
0: the logic of homeopathy uh you know the like cures like so it, it seems like if you have the essence of ayahuasca in the water it'll do the opposite and make you really sober
2: yeah, I can do that, and, and but what we've seen with this particular tincture that we've made is that for people like yourself, uh, Carrie, that, that wasn't able to do the plant medicine or, or chose not to, um, it's really helpful for them just to kind of still have an experience while they're here. Some people say, oh, I didn't feel anything. You know, that's normal too. Yeah, they don't, they don't really good. notice much. Mm-hmm. What we do see being more effective with the tincture is that people that have done the ayahuasca. And then they go home and they take a bottle with them, mm-hmm. and then they do it, and it kind of keeps them in that energetic vibe. Right. But if you haven't done the ayahuasca and you just do the tincture, sometimes it's hard to kind of like feel that energy because you're right. not really familiar, you know, with the experience from before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not something that's like super powerful, you know, when you're right. when you're here.
1: Yeah, it sounds about as powerful as the placebo
2: effect. It can be, yeah. absolutely. I
1: mean, if it's kind of like taking a rock home from the ocean, and it reminds you of being at the ocean.
2: Fair i would enough. say that's very very accurate in a lot of ways yeah okay. we've had some people that uh get home and they they take the tincture and they have amazingly uh, lucid dreams mm. and they feel balanced but of course they're doing other things like they're you know they're meditating and you know right. they're doing their spiritual practice and trying to stay healthy with food so all that kind of mixes in together it's a, it's a good reminder yeah. of like their experience here it keeps them focused
1: well um I wonder if it wouldn't be a good idea then to have some of the helpers just take the tincture, so you have someone on the grounds who's walking around.
2: Absolutely. And, yeah. Yeah, uh, we would certify the, them so for that. You know, sometimes during the ceremonies, uh, not the not the guest services staff but the, the actual shaman sort of assistants, they don't always drink. So, so oh, they don't okay. always drink. So the guys that usually do are the, the people kind of leading the ceremony. Mm-hmm. So that's just basically each night that's one person. Now, sometimes the, the, the assistants will drink too, mm-hmm. but but it's not like 100%. So what I encourage them to do is at least have one or two of them that are, you know, maybe they took a sip or did the tincture or just don't drink at all. Just mm-hmm. so they can kind of, you know, it's it's not even about like, what their own vibe would be it's more about we want the guests to see yeah. that they're sober and feel comfortable
1: i think that so that's, would have been reassuring oh yeah
2: like when i when i check in guests cause i do all the medical intakes when i'm here you know i help dr Arturo with that what, what i do is i tell them hey you know i'm on i'm on the property you know don't worry and i usually go up to the ceremony at the beginning and go hey how's it going everybody you know it just helps people feel comfortable they know somebody's here right okay yeah
1: yeah, it does sound like we were here on an off week because you weren't here. But,
2: yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. could happen, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, I'd recommend a rule where someone's just on the, someone there is just on the tincture. That would be my. I You're agree. nodding. Okay, okay,
0: okay. <laughs> good to hear it. Speaking of placebo and the power of belief, those are both terms that I heard when I went to the hemolucent uh, presentation. And uh, I'll, I'll say that that presentation raised a lot of red flags for me just in how they were describing the procedure. Me being, I'm not a medical professional, I'm not a scientist, but I'm scientifically minded. Sure. A lot of things, it, it didn't ring true for me. Well, what can you say about hemolucent and and how that got here?
2: Yeah, so I am I was the guy that was originally trained by uh, Dr. Tato Vokades, who's the developer of the hemolucent laser and the whole procedure. And he's the guy that works with uh, The Gambles, Kimberly and Foster Gamble through Thrive uh, Health Connect. Mm -hmm. So I was the guy that had, I received the first treatment and then I was trained on how to do it. And I learned about how the, what it all means. And so what was really interesting to me is that when I was in my, my public health masters at UCLA, you know, which was a great program. I really loved it. uh, We watched a video about a bunch of people that had been uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness of some sort. And they'd gone through all the chemo and all the whatever else, medical stuff for a long time. And then the docs had just told these people, you know, you got a year to live or 18 months or six months or whatever. So they grabbed the people that were open to it and they took them all out to a remote, you know, sort of beautiful sort of retreat area. Mm -hmm. And they had them uh, practice meditation and yoga, super healthy food, um, all kind of like holistic remedies and stuff. And they kept them there for, for about six months. And there was a huge proportion of the people that came back to their homes and had been cured. They were cancer-free, or whatever illness they had was gone. Now, not all of them were that way. And so the study raised uh, questions about, like, okay, was well, it all these? Is it all these like procedures we did? Or is it just the mind? Yeah, was there a control group that looked at the, the same population but was. without this? There okay. was. There was a control group. So some of the people, you know, that had been diagnosed with terminal illnesses didn't, you know, participate. So they were the control group. So they didn't go out to this retreat. So okay. there was a really huge, significant uh, statistic on the people that had, that had changed. So the question was raised: like, is it just, you know, they thought positive thoughts? And they wanted to be cured, and they believed they could be cured, or was it all these things, or was it a combo? Or so
1: spontaneous remission, which happens, too. also
2: too, absolutely. So the question was, you know, the video was intended as as uh, grad students for us to kind of think about this. It wasn't to tell us what it was because they didn't even know either, right? So I found that really fascinating, and I've seen. Do you remember what it was called? You know, I don't. It was okay. like in 1996 or something. Okay, I don't oh, wow, <laughs> that was a long time ago.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
2: Yes. Um, I could probably find it though.
1: Oh, that'd be great.
2: Yeah, I'll let you know if I'll, I'll yeah. try to dig it up. But um, what I what I saw in my medical sort of career after that time is that the the, the power of positive thinking was really significant in healing. Now, it wasn't 100%. Mm-hmm. It didn't, you know, it wasn't a sure thing. But I saw that people that kind of had a different attitude about themselves that was positive and that they could be cured about whatever stuff they have, whether it was mental illness or, you know, when I was working at the OBGYN department at UCLA, like, you know, all kinds of different reproductive health concerns, I saw that it was a, a factor that appeared to me to be very helpful. Mm-hmm. So with the hemolucent, there is a scientific component, you know, but there's also a belief component. And if you believe you can be healed, but you're also getting this medical treatment, then we believe that, this, that the outcomes will be better. You know, That's kind of the philosophy behind it.
0: So you feel that the, the laser guiding the stem cells that have been pulled from the blood, that that's a necessary part of that process, or?
2: I do, and the reason I do is because the, the research that Dr. Todd did, he took uh, these, what they're called they're very small embryonic like stem cells, and he took them and put them in a fluid medium, and then he did all kinds, you know, as scientists do in the lab, they just try all kinds of different random stuff. And he, he, one of his experiments was he pointed that laser of a certain frequency at the at the fluid medium, mm-hmm. and all the stem cells woke up and aligned in a pathway that was linked to the laser, like basically in a, in a straight line, and it kind of like Velcro attached to each other. And so that was some research that he did that showed that these very small embryonic-like stem cells, which are actually considered by m- most scientists to be debris or dead, dead cells or dead tissue because they're not turned on. Mm-hmm. So what happens is, like if you do a trypan blue dye, which is a way to look at cells under an electron microscope okay. so you can see them, mm-hmm. what happens is when you dye them with this blue dye, if a cell is alive and viable, it kicks the blue dye out. Cause it's like, what's this? It doesn't belong here. Mm-hmm. So those cells that are clear are, are white or you know, they have the, they're not blue. Mm-hmm. All the cells that are blue are the cells that absorb the dye and they don't kick it out because they're not viable. So that's considered debris. Mm-hmm. So very small embryonic like stem cells before they're activated absorb the dye and are blue. So that's why most science believes that they're not anything relevant. So what happened was when Dr. Todd lasered those cells, they turned on is a way to kind of look at it, and then they kicked out the blue dye when they did the study. So they became viable. They became awake. Mm -hmm. And so that's what happens with with the procedure for hemolucin, is that we get your your own stem cells that are these ones in your bloodstream. We Mm -hmm. laser them. And this was a
0: study that was published and peer-reviewed?
2: Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And he had to do it abroad because uh, at the time – kind of stem cell stuff wasn't really legal in the U S is becoming much more legal now, but in the U S at the time it was like kind of hush, hush. Because so of we,
1: the embryonic element.
2: Well, just cause you know, they put a big blanket on a lot of stem cell right. sort of stuff because you yeah, the umbilical cord, uh, blood and you know, even all stem cells don't come from that. Some right. bone marrow, fat tissue, dental pulp. Right. but he had, to, it just was, the FDA just wasn't having it back then. So he had to go abroad to do some studies.
1: Okay. Um, yeah so at this point why do you think it's not accepted by the mainstream medical
2: community you know there's different philosophies on that i'm not exactly sure why mm-hmm. um i believe you know if with any kind of like cutting-edge research medical stuff there's people that have built their entire careers on a certain procedure or a certain methodology they're kind of the the top of the heap as far as getting research grants and money for their studies and if something comes along that, uh, in a sense, kind of has forces them to shift what they've been studying or believing, you know, they're resistant to it, you know, because their whole career's built on that. I've seen that forever in my career. Mm-hmm. I used to do research at the Neuropsychiatric Institute on prenatal diagnostic screening procedures with Latin American women, and it was crazy, like, how it was so competitive with, like, other researchers and other docs, you know, if we had a different approach. It's just crazy, you know, because mm-hmm. people build their entire reputation on a certain way of thinking.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I know that that could be true of an individual researcher, but I'm thinking, you know, we've got cancer charities and uh, research arms like the Cochrane Collaboration that you would think would be able to sort of independently look at those studies and decide whether they were legit and back you up if they were.
2: Yeah, and I I believe there's some agencies that are kind of more open to that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of agencies that are not, because a lot of those agencies receive lots of money from sources that, aren't necessarily interested in, uh, you know, getting rid of disease. Um, even though they, you know, on the front, you know, their, their facade in a sense is we want to cure cancer. My belief is that yes, there's lots of groups to do, and there's lots of, of course, lots of people that do mm-hmm. probably more that do than don't, but the powers that be at times are preventing that because of the economic component. Mm-hmm. Big pharma has a lot to do with it. And governments have a lot to do with it with economies and all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's super complicated.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm a little skeptical. Yeah, Before it's maybe.
2: it's one of those. You know what it is? It's one of those conspiracy theories, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not a big conspiracy theory guy uh-huh. at all. But you know, I just I just kind of like comment on like what I see and what I've observed, okay. like and kind of what I've seen, which is not everything. You mm-hmm. know, and I haven't. I'm not deep in the medical scientific world anymore. You know, like mm-hmm. I used to be. I'm doing this down here in Costa Rica, but <laughs> you know, so I, I think there's like it's it's not black and white. I think there's a lot of gray areas with this.
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, so as a, a person trained as a psychologist, usually with a chief medical officer, I'd expect like a physician. Why did I yeah. choose to have a, psych- a psychological professional? The reason the is
2: because of my uh, my medical background in managing healthcare care agencies and also my policy background in public health, which is uh, health law and program development and I've just managed a lot of facilities in my day, so I have that that medical background and all that scientific background. When I was at UCLA, I did all my pre-meds there, so I know all the kind of biological side of it all. Um, Obviously, I'm not a medical doctor, Mm -hmm. and I don't practice medicine, but I just can oversee and write. I wrote the, the license for us to do this here. So mm-hmm. I had to work with the government and go back and forth. And I developed the whole program, you know, with Jerry, of course, to make sure that this is legal and legit. So, yeah, it's, it's unusual to have a, a person with a psychology background be the chief medical officer. Um, usually it's a medical doctor, like in the West. But, you know, there's exceptions to that. It just depends on your background and what mm-hmm. you've been involved with.
0: And do you maintain your psychology degree in the U.S.? No, uh-uh. No,
1: I don't. Your license in the US? I don't
2: maintain it. No, no. Because I have no interest in going back to that that system. I'm not interested in mm-hmm. having people revolve through my, my office and not get better after 10 years. I'm just not interested.
1: But you were licensed as a psychologist. Yeah. Cause I looked up your, your license and all I found was psychological assistant.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's when, uh, when you're getting your hours, your postdoc hours, you have mm-hmm. to be registered like that underneath a different, underneath a licensed psychologist. Mm-hmm. And then what you do is you, you take an exam where you get the next part of your license. And I just never, took that part of the exam I said I'm not gonna I'm not interested in doing that cuz that's when I came here okay. so I just that psychological assistant license is not active currently and I'm not pursuing the full licensure because it's like basically just not my career path I'm just not interested mm-hmm. okay.
1: Okay. one of the things that came up with Jerry's talk is he was talking about that alarming and touching experience he had where he saw himself as a child being molested by his grandfather, yeah. and one of the questions we asked him was, "Were you able to verify that with any other members of your family?" And he couldn't because they've passed on. Fair enough. Yeah. But I was wondering, as you know, a psychology person does it worry you because we know how fragile the memory and the imagination are mm-hmm, and how quickly mm-hmm. the imagination can influence totally memories. Um, yeah. Does that story, um, well, there's give also a pause. Well,
2: also like in the seventies when they used to, when therapists used to do regression yes. psychology, mm-hmm. right? To kind of bring you back to the, it's supposed traumatic events. Mm-hmm. What they exactly. found was that the psychologists were creating these events. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because who knows why they were just maybe, Crazy. I don't know why they would do that, but that was kind of what was happening. So, so an alien memory recovery, like that's a good example. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Leading the witness. Absolutely. So there, there is that concern that, you know, are, are some of these hidden memories being fabricated? Is it not true? Does it, does it make sense? So that's why I believe it and all this kind of, you know, belief systems that might not be accurate. So yeah, that's always been a concern of mine with everybody. So what I, what I look at is not necessarily like that awareness that somebody could have that may or may not be accurate. I look at how do they do in their life as a result afterwards and how do they incorporate that knowledge into their life as they move forward? So for example, with Jerry, he, you know, had this, this awareness under plant medicine that, you know, he was molested by his grandfather and, you know, him and I have been working for almost five years together before this, trying every Every single way to figure out what was up with this guy, and I was just like, "What the heck is wrong with this dude? Like, he's not—he's not changing. He's upset. He's suicidal. I mean, he's just a mess." Then when he had that realization, whether or not you know, let's say it was factual or not, I believe it was factual because of how he behaved after the awareness, which was he had much more clarity. He understood why he had issues with women and trust with men, and why he was just like basically an asshole, <laughs> like he says. But I guess you, you want
0: to say that someone should go to prison based on one of these recovered memories.
2: That, that shouldn't be the case for sure. No, because uh, that when, when you start to kind of put like a prison, like let's say his grandfather was still alive. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So that, that's not like something that would be viable in court. My, my wife is a forensic psychologist, so mm-hmm. she does, uh, you know, courtroom stuff and assessments. Mm-hmm. And there is no way that would fly ever yeah. like in a court of law. Like, that's like, I had a dream and I I remembered that I got, well, That just says it's not viable. Yeah. It doesn't work in court. Yeah. I'm sure as soon as your
1: story started, I was on ayahuasca. Yeah, there's no way. (laughs) But, um, but I think there are more concerns than just someone's prison time. I mean, uh, this kind of opens the door to someone coming to Rhythmia, hearing Jerry's story, having a similar experience about someone who's alive. Let's say I, I saw my mother molesting me, which as far as I know has not happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I, Let's say it does change my life and now I feel released of whatever, but isn't that a terrible thing to do to my mom?
2: Absolutely. And so that is. And so what happens is is there's, I'd say every couple of weeks there's somebody that has like that sort of experience. Mm. And what happens is that I meet with that person when they're here okay. and I have therapy sessions with them and talk to them. You know basically and what I do is I just kind of like sort it out for them and you know what's incredible is that if somebody for example in that situation as a theoretical thing if you realize that your mom molested you which is not the case of course but if you realize that uh, there's often a component of compassion that also comes towards your mom it's not I haven't seen that somebody's like I, I hate my mom I'm so mad at my mom and she did this but I feel free now but I'm pissed off that's not what I usually see I usually see like, wow, I understand that my mom was likely abused. Mm -hmm. I understand there's a long chain of this historically in my family generationally. I feel compassion for my mom and I'm actually like, I feel free from the experience, but I don't hate my mom. I'm not mad at my mom. And then some people will ask me like, well, should I break the news to my mom? I said, no, no. I was going to say this makes for some really awkward Thanksgiving. It does. And, yeah. and I think, you know, what's well, interesting is there's that whole 12 step thing, which I'm not a big fan of 12 step, mm-hmm. but one of the, one of the components is like when you're making amends, you don't do it. If it's going to harm somebody right. or, or put them in a really bad position. So I I kind of use that. I like that. And I, I tell people that a lot,
1: but it seems like if someone really molested hmm. you <laughs> you should, I mean, if you want to talk to them, you should talk to them. And that's, that's
2: always personal choice. That's always possible for sure. Now, um, oftentimes, you know, let's say I haven't experienced this here at Rhythmia, but I've experienced this back in my practice in LA. Like if they're, let's say, you know, let's say I got a, a young, like a teenager as a patient or a 20 something. And their dad is you know, in their fifties or forties or something, still young and still around kids and still potentially can kind of yeah, abuse, right? You. Mm-hmm. So then I, I do further investigation and that's basically a child protective services report. And I let them sort it out. Mm. So the the nice part about at least in the West is that I don't have to get involved with these people that aren't my patients. I just report the case. You know, if somebody has that you know experience, then you could. There's ways to kind of get it sussed out. So here it's a little different, right? We're in Costa Rica. People have these experiences on plant medicine. You know, it may or may not be the actual detailed facts of what's going on. So we don't, I don't call child protective services. Let's put it that way. But if there was an event that, that is, that raises red flags, like, okay, well, there is somebody currently potentially molesting kids. We will file a report and we will have that crossover back to the, to the West. Yeah. We just haven't had to deal with that, well, you know, yet. Thank God.
1: Yeah, you got a bit of a double-edged sword there, don't you? Because mm-hmm. yeah, on the one hand, if someone really might be molesting kids, obviously you should report it. Um, True. On The other hand, we know how the, ma- the imagination works and how it can affect memory, and Correct. you, might be, fire you might be calling CPS on someone who yeah. never did anything, and that's, Usually, that's rough.
2: We also refer people. Like for example, somebody in that situation, we'll have them. You know, either sometimes they've already had a therapist they work with. If that's the case, we refer them right back to the therapist. We do a release of information consent form then i'll talk to that therapist and just kind of give them you know the gist of what we experienced here with the patient and then they they take it from there you know so there is chains of connection between us and you know the people back home
1: so it does sound like someone could have an experience on plant medicine where the plant medicine quote unquote lied to them
2: potentially yeah because it could it could be all symbolic it could be. I mean, this, it's so it's right. so complicated. We right? just like, heard a really touching
0: story yesterday about a guy who had an owl oversee a surgery in which uh, many uh,
2: wow. lights were weaved through his body by aliens. Wow! And, interesting. Uh, I wouldn't call that literal. Yeah, neither would I. I would call it, you know, his own body healing himself and the way to intellectually understand that is through those symbolic mechanisms.
1: Well speaking of the body healing itself, uh, Jerry mentioned witnessing someone's tumor go away during a ceremony. Were you there for that? I
2: was, yeah. And it was a woman that had breast cancer and it was wow. gone and not detectable after the after the weaker arrhythmia.
1: So do you think then that ayahuasca can potentially cure cancer?
2: Um, I believe there's cases of that happening. There's actually a really good report done by a a medical doctor who had prostate cancer who, again, it wasn't like a scientific study, but it was his own, as a medical doctor, his own opinion about what happened. He claims it cured his prostate cancer. Now, is that true or not? Again, it's hard. It's really hard to study that to actually know. Okay. I think it's a combo of things. I think that ayahuasca has a lot of medicinal qualities. It pulls out toxins. It it shifts things hormonally and neurochemically. That's all common knowledge. But then, if you have that belief system of like, you know, I want to be healed from this, and I'm totally plugged into me, there's a lot of things that can happen that are amazing. We've
0: heard from Jerry that his original experience was not
2: on ayahuasca, but iboga. I believe early on Rhythmia did use iboga here for some people. Yeah, our first plant medicine was iboga outside of Rhythmia before we even bought the place. Yeah. And, oh, and
1: outside of Rhythmia. Yeah,
2: we did. We did, we did Iboga.
1: Oh, together. But together. you weren't serving it.
2: No, this okay. was when he went to Costa Rica on House. his own. And I came a couple weeks later and did it. That was right. my first plant medicine.
1: <laughs> and that was at Iboga House?
2: Correct. Okay. Correct. And uh, yeah, we wanted, we loved the medicine, still do. We thought it'd be amazing for people that had addictions, because you know ibogaine is the one alkaloid of iboga that they use for opiate addiction mm. to help people get over opiate uh, abuse, and the full plant, which has 13 alkaloids, has more as kind of psychospiritual components to it. It's milder, because if you take the full plant of iboga, about 30% of it is ibogaine. So there's still that component of ibogaine, but it's like more mild, because ibogaine by itself is hardcore. Okay. Hardcore. That's for really serious heroin addicts. You okay. know? So, so what happened was that we loved this medicine. We saw the benefits of it. So we wanted to. When we bought this place, we originally <laughs> were going to do it uh, iboga. Okay. But in the licensing process, we learned that it wasn't uh, viable because you had to have plants that were indigenous to Costa Rica to use the medicinal. Iboga is from Africa. Correct. It's from the Congo Basin of Africa. Yeah. So we learned in the process. So then. We put our heads together, we talked to each other and went on some more yoga journeys and figured out that ayahuasca would be really beneficial for people and that it would be helpful in a way that was kind of more... Uh a little bit more mainstream because Iboga is hardcore, even though it's not like Ibogaine, it's not as hardcore, but it's still really intense. Right. Yeah.
1: So, but when you first opened on your website, it said like first licensed Iboga facility. So were you serving Iboga at that time? Yeah.
2: So what happens uh, when you file a license in Costa Rica for a medical facility, once it's filed, you can start operating under good faith. So we had a team of attorneys that were working with the Ministry of Health and and with myself and Uh Jerry. Okay. And so you could, you could start operating because you already filed the license. So that's what happened was that we opened, we were serving Iboga just for a very short period of time. And then we found out that we couldn't. So we stopped and okay. we just shut it down got until it. we got the ayahuasca on the license.
1: And was Muganda leading those ceremonies? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So he ended up being investigated by the local authorities, right? Is that why he left?
2: Yeah. Cause when he was at Iboga house way okay. before us, before we even met the guy, there was some issues up there with health with some of the people. And, you know, they, they got rough crowds up there. you Because know, mm-hmm. people who seek out Iboga are usually really hardcore heroin addicts. You right. know, it's kind of the, the crowd. That, it's not everybody, but it is definitely a big part of the population. Are they just looking for a high or they're looking to get off heroin? They're looking to get off heroin. Okay. They're looking to get off heroin. Right. But so, of course, you know that people strung out on heroin for years are, you know, they're a rough crowd. They're sure. They're not stable in right. a lot physically.
1: I mean, there were a couple deaths at Iboga house, right? As
2: far as I know, there was one. Okay. Before, I think it was in... A couple of years in like, May before we met the guy. Yeah, you know,
1: 2013 or so. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, did that give you a pause at all? The-
2: no, because what I learned about that was, you know, what I've seen in my own career with working with addicts is that when you get somebody that's a heroin addict and you get them clean and they're sober for a couple months and then they relapse that's the danger of heroin right because they're in that kind of like addictive moment and they're using their same dose Right. that's
1: what happens in Philip Seymour Hoffman
2: correct yeah and then that same dose that they're used to is way too much and they just have Mm -hmm. respiratory failure and they die so that's what happens when you do Iboga you get put baseline for your tolerance your your withdrawals are gone and you're back to ground zero as far as tolerance is concerned with Mm. the medicine so if you relapse on heroin you're gonna die. Unless you unless you take a tiny little small like entry level dose.
1: So are you saying this person maybe relapsed and took more heroin and that's how she died? That is how she died. Oh, okay. Yeah. My impression was that she died on the Iboga. No.
2: Uh uh-uh. uh okay. Iboga didn't kill her. No. She brought
1: heroin to Costa Rica?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. hard to do. They put it up their up their, you know, anal cavity. Oh, there's right. lots of ways. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there's lots of ways. Speaking, Speaking of, of anal cavities, cavities. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Another thing we wanted to talk about is the Dead Sea Cleanse.
2: What does that do? What is the purpose that that serves in the Rhythmia treatment? So we believe that when somebody has a trauma in their life, whatever it is, abuse or death of a loved one or witnessing a car accident or whatever, that in the digestive process, in your intestinal process that any food or substances that you're digesting become crystallized in a sense and they become kind of like stuck in that area and they cause a rigidity in the intestinal tract and that's just part of life and so everybody's colon and intestines are in different varying degrees of healthiness or not And that's also based on diet and water consumption and all kinds of other things are just health related. We believe that trauma also causes digestive issues and also colonic colon colon issues. So the cleanse is meant to release (coughs) emotional trauma. It's also meant to be something that's just healthy for people, you know, because it is a healthy thing to get a a hydroclonic gravity-fed cleanse. It cleanses out your body. You feel good. So that part's cool. But what we have seen with this is a lot of emotional experiences that occur that are really weird because I I didn't, you know, I didn't understand all this stuff. This is something I learned new, you know, from here. But people will cry, like, when they're getting a cleanse. I believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Not just because there's a tube anally inserted. It's because there's like... (laughs) There's an emotional side that can kind of pop up, you know, yeah. from from trauma. And that's sort of the belief system for a lot of these people that are that are kind of colonic experts. You know, okay. they, they feel there's a spiritual emotional side to it, which is interesting. And what is the connection to the Dead Sea? Is there a lot of salt in the water? Yeah, yeah. That's, it like. <laughs> okay. that's all it is. I was yeah. looking
0: for scrolls. I didn't well, see anything. There,
2: there supposedly there's on the Dead Sea scrolls, there's some information. I've never seen it. But there's some information what? about like yeah. Are you serious? I'm serious. Yeah, that's about cleanses, information about About shit up
1: your <laughs> Well,
2: maybe not that. So like, <laughs> okay. but it's about it's about cleansing your system and cleansing your oh, body. Okay. Eating yeah. healthily and, and drinking the right kind of water and all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. Eating
1: healthy is yeah. a little far from sticking a tube up. I for could see
2: it. the community uh, recording that at least. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: okay. Oh yeah, and then people here also we noticed we're doing Reiki. Is that something you can buy into?
2: Well, uh, you know, Reiki is is really cool because you don't have to touch the patient. You know, right. it's, it's all energetic work. And so I'm I'm a big fan of Reiki. You know, when I was in LA, I used to refer a lot of my patients to go get Reiki sessions if you know if they were open to it. Mm-hmm. So we've seen a lot of good shifts with people that do that. So it's really positive.
1: Do you think that that's a mental thing, or do you think there's actually energy coming out of those people's hands? I think
2: it's a combo of the two. I think it's a combo. I mean, I don't know if energy's coming out of somebody's hands, but I mean, I just know that we're all connected energetically, like mm-hmm. we're all made up of positive and negative charged ions, right? Like the rest of the universe. So if you can kind of like hone that somehow you know which i don't know how to do that i'm not a reiki person like i don't know how to do that
1: well i don't need to brag <laughs> but <laughs> i cer- a i'm a oh, certified cool. reiki uh practitioner <laughs> but i went to the class and uh the teacher said it doesn't even matter if you believe this and i was like oh good because i don't believe this uh but uh <laughs> she said she was like that's just fine once i put the energy in your hands it's there so do you feel it
0: carrie
2: is reaching her hands out to dr jeff I feel something. All right. Cool. <laughs> is it awkwardness? No, no, I'm, I'm way past awkwardness in my field.
0: Can you uh, can you define for us? We've been hearing the word miracle bandied yeah. about a lot this week, yeah. and, and and I'd say the the most scientific measurement of it we've seen is like a constant running number of the miracle percent. Yeah. So the last I heard, it was at ninety two point four seven percent.
2: Yeah. Uh, how would you define a miracle? The way I define the miracle is. There's a couple of ways I look at it personally. Uh, one kind of real practical, easy way to look at it is your intention, your goal, uh, what you came here for, whatever it might be. Did you figure that out? Did mm-hmm. you get that realized here? That's one way to look at that. I often look at it the other way that I look at it and our company looks at it is, did you, did you learn who you've become? while you were here, like, mm-hmm. you know, the, the disconnect that's occurred in your life from your physical self with your emotional or spiritual self. So did you see who you've become? Then did you get a new heart, which means you kind of rebirth or feel like a new person and then did you reunite with your soul, Did you get back plugged into you? Are you connected and now can you move forward? So that's what the miracle means. And that's what that's about. It's self reported by the guests at the end right? with an exit survey. Like, did they get it or not? You know, 92 plus percent say that they did. And some just say that they don't, you know, for whatever reason. So, so my near-death experience would classify as a solid miracle, then. Correct. Okay.
1: (laughs) Did it feel like a miracle?
2: I, I, wasn't
0: how I would have described it (laughs) at the the time, for sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it does feel like there's a little peer pressure here to like reconceptualize things that happen to you as a miracle. Absolutely,
2: there is. There is. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah, there is. Yeah, Yeah.
1: because even today at breakfast. Someone asked me how my week was. So my week was great, right? So I'm like, oh, the week was great. I had a lot of fun. And then they said, y- did you get what you came for? Or some Something kind of leading me toward the miracle question. And I said, well, I don't know that I'd say experienced a miracle, but that's a high bar. And the response was, but it's not a high bar. It's a miracle. that You're you breathing. Even, you even exist. And I thought, well, then I came in with a miracle. <laughs> I was breathing when I arrived. Yeah, yeah,
2: right? no, true. So what happens with most of these guests, is they're very uh, kind of at the end of their rope for whatever reason, you know, a lot of anxiety. They've been on meds for decades. They're they're in a trauma place. And they're just desperate. You know, they're going through a divorce. All kinds of really extreme things. So these people need healing right now. You know, you showed up. As far as I can tell, you're. Very well balanced, and you know, we'll, you. you know, Thank you're you. you're not like necessarily seeking some big huge shift for you. I mean, maybe you are, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so you're already like you've done a lot of work, and you already kind of know, you know, you know who you are, and you're you know you're you're good. That's not the norm here. Most mm-hmm. of the guests are pretty upset, and they're struggling. And so, we're as a as a company, we all have uniform language of Did you get your miracle? Because we want you to be healed, and we want you to heal yourself. I,
0: I will say, I feel like if you did just bring in people and say, hey, this is a weird chemical, it does crazy things to your brain, hits these neurotransmitters uh, or receptors and you know, creates visions and stuff, uh, have fun on your trip. You know That would be a totally different experience yeah, than all the context that's being provided around it Correct. and uh, kind of the expectation. So, so I, I totally accede to that point that you kind of need that narrative at least to create a useful experience out yeah. of the drug rather than just, here, have a miserable trip that turns into a cool trip. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I feel like, to me, it is like a neurochemical experience. I haven't even had the experience, so I'm speaking from ignorance. But uh, that drugs in general are just doing something to your brain. But I do think using those metaphors is useful. But I also think it would be great to acknowledge them as metaphors for the people yeah. for whom they are. Like talking about a soul for me, I don't believe I have a soul that's yeah. separate from my my mind, but I can use that metaphor as like the thing that I feel internally that has my emotions and my identity. Yeah. That's what
2: I usually say. I tell people it's your your physical self and then your emotional or spiritual self, depending on what they believe.
1: Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. I, I mean, it sounds like I wish you had been here all week. Because <laughs> I think for we Jerry, for Jerry, I we think We love it Jerry is. <laughs> Jerry's awesome, but I think he has a little bit of a different mindset. I think his, yeah. his, his, his very role is literally different. spiritual.
2: Yeah, and, his, uh, his role as the CEO is a little different than mine. Sure. You know, where I'm, I have a background of working with thousands of people going through a lot of stuff in their life and he's new to it in a sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If you had another Jerry come in today, would you handle him any differently than you did Jerry of many years ago? Absolutely. Yes. Because now I have this tool in my toolbox that I know works. I would have them immediately do plant medicine. Mm. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I would be the first thing I would have them do. Now people are resistant, you know, to it sometimes. So, you know, soften them up a bit, but yeah, I wouldn't waste five years trying to get him to do yoga. You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so now how's your relationship to passages? Have you told them like, Hey, do some plant medicine?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, they're, I'm great friends with the owners and I've hired most of the staff that are still there. Oh, you're poaching them all. Oh, yeah. you're bringing them over here. You <laughs> well, no, 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 I, I don't poach them, but I'm the staff that are currently running passages are a lot of the people that oh, I hire. you
1: hired. Yeah. So I'm great friends
2: that. with passages and the owners are awesome. Chris and Pax Prentice, I love those guys. And my good friend, Michael Shaner is the intake director and I have a lot of people I, I know they're in love. And so they'll, they'll refer people to me down here, okay. I'll refer people up to them if they need that. So you know, we have a great relationship with passages.
1: Okay, cool, because I, I remember reading that they didn't quite believe in addiction as a disease. Is Correct. that right? Correct. Okay. Now yeah. how do you feel about that?
2: I agree, I, I don't think it's a disease because I view disease as something that you catch without you really wanting to catch it. Like, cancer is a disease. Okay. Uh, Crohn's disease is a disease. You know, diabetes is, a, well, sometimes you, said you can eat less sugar and get diabetes, right? But uh, addiction, now it's it's interesting because they say, well, addiction is a disease because it changes the way your brain processes uh, reward and pleasure, right? right? So yeah, of course, well, you do alter your brain when you have an alcohol addiction, absolutely. But to say that it's a disease, in my opinion, uh, takes the responsibility off of the individual to make a choice. Hmm. And they they just say, well, I'm, I have a disease, like nothing I can do about it. So I'm screwed. So hmm. I just drink and that's what I do. So I just think it takes away from the, the healing ability. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah.
1: So what about like depression, anxiety, would you call those
2: diseases? D- it depends because there's different versions of those. There's hmm. people that have clinical uh, neurochemical depression with very low dopamine that inherited that sometimes right. or just environmentally they have that because of where they live. So that's one thing Then there's the depression of like not having the emotional tools to deal with life and having a negative mind frame and just looking at everything that my life sucks and that's a whole different kind of depression. So I've had both types of patients ones that, are successful in life, but they can't stop crying, and then they have these moments where they can't get out of bed, and so those people actually, in my opinion, have a neurochemical actual depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, people that, you know, they're just making bad choices, they're, or they're in an abusive situation that's not under their control. Right. They have situational depression. Right. It's different.
1: Yeah, I think most of psychology would agree with you there. Yeah, um, Yeah, I guess it's interesting because to me, if you tell someone they have a disease that doesn't take their agency away. because If let's say someone has type 1 diabetes, their responsibility is still to take insulin, right? Because otherwise you're fucking over your family by basically killing yourself. Absolutely, So I I think of it the same way, just, okay, alcoholism's a disease and everyone's responsible for their diseases.
2: Yeah, and I think that that there's some people that can have that mind frame and it it helps them, it Mm -hmm. works for them. Being in the addiction field for so long is my view is that more so, it's something that's like a negative self-image. Okay. More so. That's not for everybody that. Some people, it really helps them to think that way. Okay. helps them stay focused It helps them kind of like maintain their sobriety so i'm all about that that's great but i just think like as a policy looking from a public health perspective i think that, that negates the or, or just challenges the opportunity to really look underneath the addiction and see what's kind of fueling it
1: okay so how many people coming here are coming for the addiction program
2: oh we have about three or four a month Oh, okay. Oh, pretty small program okay. yeah. for that side. Yeah. Okay. So you can really focus on that. Exactly. Case. Exactly. Okay. And ayahuasca is interesting because you have to be sober to some degree before you can do it. So oh, right. that's like a catch-22 with this particular plant. So sometimes you mm. need to bring them
0: here and make sure they stay sober for the requisite amount of time. Exactly. Oh,
1: so people might be here a while, eh?
2: Yeah, they could be. Yeah. yeah gotcha. It just depends on what their drug of choice is and where they're at. Gotcha.
1: Well, is there anything we didn't ask you that you wish we had asked you?
2: You know, you guys are great interviewers, so I think we hit all the things I want to talk about, you know? Excellent. Awesome. Well, well, what should uh, people
0: do? Where should they go if they want to learn more, watch more, hear more about kind of what you're doing?
2: We have a couple different ways to do that. One is just go to our website at Rhythmia.com. It's R-Y-T-H-M-I-A.com. Yeah, no X rage. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we kept doing R-H-Y. Rhythm.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. A little different. Or they just go to our Facebook page, you know, which is really cool, and or just our YouTube channel because we have a lot of videos posted there of us talking about things, and we interview some of the guests, and those are three ways they can get a hold of us.
1: Awesome.
2: So that
0: was our discussion with Jeff McNary. Yeah. Very friendly guy.
1: Also known as Dr. Jeff.
0: Dr. Jeff. And as you can hear, he was... I think, very open to our suggestions, Mm -hmm. and that gave me a great feeling after this conversation Mm -hmm. that, oh, they may change some of their behaviors here, and we happen to catch them on sort of an off day, Mm -hmm. changing of the guard, if you will, but there'll be some more follow-up later that will-
1: More shoes to drop.
0: that's right. All all those drops-
1: clunk 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 of shoes yeah
0: (laughs) yeah so we're getting close to the end we are so keep supporting us and we'll release these quickly but there there is more story to tell and i think you're going to want to hear it so stick around stick around and we'll talk to you soon
1: oh well hang on hang on ross what you got i just want to remind everybody to go to maximumfun.org forward slash donate and become a member because you guys don't you want to get the next episode right away i think you do you could get it maybe tomorrow if you push that donate button
0: that's a really good point. I'm sure everyone was wondering how do I make more of this show possible? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, you know, and for everyone who has been donating, thank you so much. Oh my much. gosh, thank you. You are the best.
1: It is because of members who donated to this drive last year that we were able to go to Costa Rica because we had to pay our way out there. Yes, sir. So thank you to everybody who became a member last year or upgraded last year and everybody who needs to get in there this year, imagine what we can do in the next 12 months if you help us out.
0: And as always, our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton.
1: Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer.
0: Our Facebook is facebook.com forward slash onrack. Or if you're like real cool, you can say fb.com slash O-N-R-A-C.
1: (laughs) That's very good.
0: You don't even need to put in the www. That's Uh, superfluous.
1: Ross is making hands like a cartoon rapping in the 90s like my I name pi- is ross I- butcher and i'm here to say <laughs> exactly <laughs> picture you being like garfield or something doing that anyway mondays. you could also <laughs> i
0: hate mondays why does he hate mondays he's a cat he's a ca- <laughs> wait
1: oh. <laughs> you're making fun of me. No, no, no. i was like it- yeah exactly <laughs> okay you guys here's what happened no, it's
0: a good observation <laughs>
1: Last year, I realized, why does Garfield hate Mondays? He's a cat. And I turned to Drew and I said that. And he looked at me, like, that's the, the blank joke. stare, and he said, did you really just realize that? And he said, yeah. And he said, well, that's the whole thing. Like, Garfield's like a, a broken down <laughs> office worker, but it's funny because he's a cat.
0: <laughs> like, oh. We all have those moments. <laughs> Where we realize the thing that never occurred to us. So. Right,
1: right. Or you hear a word that everyone else has heard and they're all like, how do you not?
0: Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so it those really are moments happens. to be relished.
1: And happens.
0: <laughs> what were we Why saying? Does he
1: eat Mondays. You
0: can also find us at twitter.com forward slash oh no podcast. One That's word. Right. With an OH and an NO. And you know how to support us. org forward slash donate. Also tell your friends. Tell your uncle. He loves you. He should know about it.
1: <laughs> and we have until April 13th to get this fun drive done.
0: Tell your uncle, you got to listen to this show and quick because you need to support it. Yep. Your uncle will be like, whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: This is the only time of the year your uncle can get gifts for being smart.
2: Calm supporter. it down. Exactly. And remember. If you connect with yourself truly and are plugged into you, then you can actually connect with other people. If you're connected with other people, you have empathy for them. And that's how the world changes. Nice. Awesome.
1: Thank you. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Maximumfun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.